Well, since we have the children in with us, I just want to, uh, I want us to begin in Ephesians chapter 6. How many of you, how many of you kids know what scripture I'm going to quote to you? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Well, while I'm there, let me speak to the fathers. And fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now I want you to turn over to Colossians, just a few pages over. Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things. Notice it didn't say some things. It said all things. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, I wanted to start there, not just because the children are in here. I wanted to start there because... And I don't mean this in any form of disrespect, Miss Juliana, but we're going to baptize a child this morning. Now, she's an older child. In the Bible, I want us to see something, because we're going to talk about baptism in the covenant today. I want you to see something. I don't want this to be missed. Paul doesn't point this out, but it's kind of glaring in the text, right? Paul writes this letter to the church at Ephesus. He writes his letter to the church at at Colossae. And who does Paul address in his letter? He addresses the children. What does that tell us? It tells us that when this letter was read to the church, it was implied that the children were where? They were there listening to the letter. So they might have been in a house or they might have been in a big room like this. And all the people of God were gathered in their respective places and this letter was read. And we get to this part and Paul writes, Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And that tells us something. It tells us that Paul wrote... Not just to old men. He wrote to the old, to the young, to the married, to the unmarried, to the rich, to the poor, to the educated, to the uneducated. He wrote to the covenant people of God. And the covenant people of God were men, women, and children who had assembled together in the name of Jesus. Now I want to address you fathers for a moment because I want to point something else out that's glaring in the text. Paul says, fathers, do not provoke your children unto wrath. He says that twice. And Paul addresses the children, children, obey your parents, and fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't make it difficult for your children to obey you. 
Don't make it difficult for your children to respect you. And he puts squarely on fathers the responsibility of training up children in the Lord. Now, that doesn't excuse, moms, your responsibility. Because you have an equally important responsibility to train up your children. But dads, just because you might be off at work 8 to 10 to 12 hours a day and mom's at home with the kids, that does not mean that it is primarily the responsibility of mama to raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. The Bible, from beginning to end, puts the responsibility upon fathers to make sure that your children are trained, raised up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Why? Because Paul is speaking to people. He's writing to people who are part of the covenant. These are members of the visible church. Whether they're all born again or not, who knows? Paul is writing as though they are because they're meeting together, they're coming to the table together, they're singing their songs together, they're praying together. I can't look into your heart, you can't look into my heart, only God can. But there is an assumption because I get behind this pulpit week in and week out, even not just that, but I come to this table week in and week out, I confess my faith week in and week out, and so do you. So I'm talking to you as though you are redeemed people, covenant people, because you are covenant people, because we're all part of the visible church, but I can't see your heart. I don't know if your heart has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit yet. I'm going to preach to you and teach you as though it has, trusting that if it has not, the power of the gospel contained in the scripture will touch your heart and break your heart and transform your heart. We don't have a heart x-ray that you pass through and it beeps when the heart x-ray says, eh, 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 that heart has not been regenerated. We don't know that. Fathers, you are commanded to raise your children in the Lord. Mothers, you're commanded to raise your children in the Lord. We don't birth our children and say, you know, when they turn 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, if they're fine, upstanding citizens, then I'll give them my name and they can become part of my family. That's not how we do it, is it? You know, when they're birthed, we include them as part of our family. We raise them as part of our family. We give them our name. We teach them, treat them, live with them, put expectations on them that they are part of our family. And the exception to the rule would be that when they grow up, they depart from that way. That should be the exception, not the norm. So when we raise our children up in the family of God, We treat them as part of the family. We preach to them, teach them, admonish them as part of the family so that when they're old, the Bible says, they won't depart. 
If they do depart, that should be the exception, not the rule. You say, what in the world does all this have to do with baptism, Pastor Jeff? Well, we're going to talk about that. As a matter of fact, right now. Let's see, where do I want to start? Well, let me start in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Let me read that section of Scripture to you. <clears throat> Paul writes, Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? The answer is no, he is not. Was Paul crucified for you? The answer is no, he was not. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? The answer is no, you were not. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. Look at verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Does that minimize baptism? Absolutely not. It puts baptism in its proper place. Baptism does not have the power to save us. Only the gospel has the power to save us. It doesn't mean baptism is not important or unnecessary. Paul is putting things in their proper place here. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, in the book of 1 Corinthians, when we get uh, to chapter 10, chapter 10, verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, turn over there, let's read verses, I think, 1 and 2. <coughs> Excuse me. Chapter uh, 10, verses 1 and 2, 1 Corinthians. Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers, all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all were baptized, all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, but with most of them God was not well pleased. All were baptized, all partook of God's covenant provision. All were considered members of the covenant, but not all trusted and not all entered into the promise. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. I just want to give you some scripture here for kind of for background. Ephesians chapter 4. You get to the right book, Ephesians chapter 4. I love this section of Scripture and what it conveys. Ephesians 4, verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body. And one spirit, 
just as you were called in one hope of your calling. Verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. How many baptisms are there? There's one. I want you to keep that in mind as we go on. Now let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Back to 1 Corinthians. Let's look at verses 12 and 13. 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. There's one baptism, Paul writes. One God, one faith, one Lord, one God and Father of all. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12. For as the body is one, there it is again, one body, one faith. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Is Christ divided? He is not. Verse 13, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, all have been made to drink into one Spirit. Baptism into Christ is ultimately, listen to me church, baptism into Christ is ultimately the work of the Spirit. It's not a work of man. I'm going to baptize Juliana today, and we're going to talk about what that baptism means, what it signifies, but I want you to understand this. The one baptism that matters is the baptism of the Spirit placing you into Christ. Unless we are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the one spiritual body of Christ, we cannot be saved. This is the work of God's grace. If you call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says you will be saved. When you call upon the name of the Lord... From a heart of faith, you will be saved. That is a work of God's grace. That is a work of God's Spirit. That, in that moment, God, by His Spirit, places you into Christ. <clears throat> Whether you've been water baptized or not, it is the Spirit that places you into Christ. Now let's talk for a moment about baptism as the sign of the covenant. Let's go to Genesis chapter 17. You guys are going to have to be good. Now I know you kids, you kids hang with me, okay? Genesis 17, verse 7. This is God speaking to Abraham. Why did God choose Abraham? Because he was a really righteous man? Because he got all of his worship right and he had finally figured out who the true God of heaven was and God looks down from heaven and says, there's Abraham, he's finally figured out who I am, so I'm going to choose him. No, not at all. Abraham was a pagan worshiper. He worshipped the sun, the moon, and the stars like everybody else did in his day. But God in his grace spoke to Abraham, spoke to Abraham's father. 
in spite of the fact that Abraham didn't truly know who the true and living God was. Now, Abraham descended, right, from Adam. The creation story and the reality of creation and God creating man wasn't lost to Abraham. But you kind of need to understand the context here. My point is this. God did not choose Abraham because Abraham deserved to be choosed. Chosen. Choosed. Choosed is not a word, I don't think. God did not choose Abraham because he deserved to be chosen. God chose Abraham in spite of Abraham. And so God speaks to Abraham and he says, I'm going to establish a covenant with you, Abraham. Verse 7, Genesis 17, 7, And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and who? And your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant. Those are God's words. As an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Remember, what is the Old Testament communicating to us? What is every type and shadow? What is everything God has put within His Old Testament Scriptures what is it conveying? What is it communicating? What is the picture God is giving us? In one word, who is it God is showing us? Christ. When God says, I will establish with you an everlasting covenant, who is going to fulfill that covenant? Where will we, where will we fulfill that covenant? Where will that covenant be fulfilled for us? In us? It's in Christ. Verse 8, And I will give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Even the land is a picture. Christ is the land that God promised us. Verse 9, And God said to Abraham, As you... As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. Verse 10, this is my covenant, which you shall keep for how long? Throughout their generations, forever. This is the covenant, my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. Then he goes on, he says, all your servants, all your slaves, anyone you bring into your household, every child born of the womb, day eight, every male child circumcised on day eight, every slave, every servant, every alien, any stranger that comes to become a part of your household, I don't care if they're 19 or if they're 119, they must be circumcised. Some of you guys are cringing right now. <clears throat> this is the covenant. Now let's, let's go to Galatians chapter 3. This really doesn't apply to us because we're not Jews, right? At least I'm not. I'm not Jewish. So this doesn't apply to me. Or does it? 
Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Who are, the, who are sons of Abraham? Those who are of faith. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham. The gospel doesn't begin at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The gospel begins with, in the beginning, God created. There's where the recorded gospel begins. And God preached the gospel to Abraham, the scripture teaches us. He preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Look at verses 20, 25, Galatians, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, Galatians 3.25. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. The law was my tutor that brought me to Christ. Why did God give the law? As a means to bring us to Christ, to point us to Christ, to show our inadequacy, that our righteousness is insufficient. God demands his own righteousness, and we cannot give that to God because we do not possess it. The law brought me to that place and said, you are insufficient. What's my, then what am I left with? I cry out upon the mercy of God. The law is my tutor, my schoolmaster that brought me to Christ. That we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. In other words, we're no longer under the law. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptized, look at this, verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. Paul, in talking about the law, the whole rite of circumcision is not lost on these Jews or these Gentiles that are being pressured to come back under the law. And Paul does not accidentally say there is neither male nor female. It was only males that were required to be circumcised. Paul is saying, listen, the circumcision of Christ is, is neither male nor female. It's not about body parts, except for one, and that is the heart. Verse 29, and if you are Christ's, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. You are Abraham's descendant and heirs according to the promise. What was that promise and what was that covenant based on? God says, this is the covenant, circumcision. So circumcision and baptism. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2. One more scripture. Colossians chapter 2. Let's begin in verse 9. 
For in Him, that's Christ, in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. Verse 11, in Him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism in which you also were raised with Him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. By the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism. What did circumcision represent? It was a cutting away of the flesh. If the Old Testament is full of types and shadows showing us a picture of cross, of the cross and of Christ's redemption in the cross, what is circumcision a picture of a cutting away of the flesh a taking away of the flesh where was the flesh where was our flesh and our flesh nature where was our sinful flesh dealt with cut away and ultimately put away at the cross the cross this is the circumcision of Christ it's the cross It's pictured where? In an earthly sense, it's pictured, Paul writes here, in baptism. So circumcision and baptism speak of the same expectation, a life that pleases God, a life of faith. They both speak of covenant, one the former and one the new, a better covenant based on better promises. One was the modification through the power of the flesh, through the works of the flesh and the works of the law. But we know that justification is not by the law. It's not by the flesh. Baptism speaks of a transformation through the power of the Spirit by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We are justified by faith. And by faith and faith alone, we are able to please God. So baptism becomes an outward sign of an inward work. Juliana, when I baptize you today, we're going to see an outward sign of a work that God is going to do in your heart. That's what your parents are trusting. That's what your grandparents are trusting. That's what we are all trusting. That when you go under that water today, that is an outward symbol of something that God is doing in your heart. Not just today, it's something God began to do in your heart before today, years before today. It's something God is going to continue to do in your heart years after today, for all eternity. This is God's promise. Do you understand that? So baptism is a sign of entrance into the new covenant whose substance is now Christ. It's not salvation it's a sign of something it's an identification with something those bearing the sign of baptism are saved just like anyone else is saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ now i want to talk about i, I want to talk about baptism what this word 
If we were living, for instance, when Paul wrote these letters, let's just take the letter to the Romans, for instance. Let's turn over to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. You guys know me. I have much more I can say, but for the sake of time, we're not, I'm going to not say it all. But I do want to say some things that are very important. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. When the early church heard the word baptize or baptism, they did not think of a dunking pool. I want you to understand this. When we hear the word baptism, most of us think of getting dunked under the water. I want you to understand that when the early church heard this word, that's, they did not think of a dunking pool. What they thought of is what that water and what that baptism truly meant and what it represented. So when they heard this word, they understood the word to be communicating a placing into. So remember I read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verses 12 and 13. It says, by one spirit we were baptized into Christ. Literally, we were placed into Christ. This is, this is what this word communicates. Yes, it means to dip underwater, to, to overwhelm with, but, but we lose the true meaning in our Western understanding. This was much more than just a religious exercise. This was much more than just getting wet. The reason baptism is so important is not because it saves us, it's because of what it communicates. Because baptism is understood, that it's conveying this meaning that I have been placed into Christ. Now, when I take Juliana under this water this morning, I'm not placing her into Christ. I'm water baptizing her as an outward symbol that she is placed into Christ by the one baptism, which is the baptism of the Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that will place her into Christ. She professes faith in Jesus. So I'm trusting that the Spirit of God has placed her into Christ as a child of faith. When babies are baptized who are children of believing parents, and this is why, this is why there's a legitimate debate over this issue, there's evidence that, that, that infant baptism had apostolic origins. Paul's writing to parents and children. And so understand, just like children were circumcised at eight days old, that circumcision didn't save them, but that circumcision identified them as someone. So these children come to the table, these children come to this church. Parents, you bring your children, and whether you realize it or not, your children are identified with something. 
whether we've done a really good job of fleshing that out and helping you understand exactly how important your role is and exactly what they're identified with, the very fact that we're all in this building this morning, people on the outside looking uh, at this building and everyone in here would say they're all Christians. Now, whether you're all regenerate and on your way to heaven, I do not know, but there is a visible identity that you've taken on by coming to this place week in and week out. There's a visible identity you've taken on by calling yourself Christian, whether you're really saved or not. I don't know. God knows. There is something, and this was the importance of baptism in the early church, when they were baptized, whether they were children or whether they were old men and old women, they were baptized and they became identified with Christ. And it had, listen, it had great implications for many of those people. For many of those people, the moment they were baptized and identified with Christ, it meant some of them were going to lose their lives. It meant some of them would no longer be able to work because you've identified yourself with Christ. Buddy, you just lost your job. You just lost my business. I will not support that. That still happens in lots of parts of the world today. This is not just a dunking pool. These waters have no magical power. But when Juliana goes under that water today, she is being identified with somebody. She is, it's being declared of her that she has put her trust in Jesus. Parents, when you baptize your children, you're making a declaration that you affirm that you will obey the scripture and raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And you will raise those children as covenant children with the, the expectation that God will keep his promise to a thousand generations. Go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Paul preaching to thousands of Jewish men on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. Jewish men. He preaches this sermon, he gives them the gospel. They're cut to the heart. What must we do to be saved? Acts 2.38, Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off as many as the Lord our God will call. Later on, we see that The same spirit that fell on those Jews on the day of Pentecost fell on the Gentiles. And it became apparent these Gentiles weren't keeping the law. Salvation is not about the law. Salvation is about grace through faith in Jesus Christ. These Gentiles had entered into a covenant. And so the Jerusalem Council says, look, you don't have to keep the law. You don't have to be circumcised. But what did Jesus command? Go baptizing them. Why? Because baptism is now the circumcision of Christ. It's the the circumcision of the heart. It's identifying with Christ. So Christian, let me ask you, who do you 
identify with. It's easy to come here week in and week out and say, I identify with Christ. But the people that you work with on Monday morning, the people you shop with on Thursday night, who would those people say that you identify with? What is the identity that your life is communicating? Parents, are you teaching your children not just by your words, but by your example that you have identified yourself with someone, namely with Jesus Christ? And will your children desire having been raised in the fear and admonition of the Lord, will they desire Christ? Are you trusting in God's promise for your children? Just like Peter gave the promise in Acts chapter 2, just like Psalm 107 gives a promise, Psalm 103, 17, I think, gives a promise of His righteousness to our children's children. Parent, are you trusting? Greg and May, when I baptized Juliana today, that's not an end of something. It's not even necessarily a beginning of something. It is a part of something. It's a part of a life of faith. It's a part of a covenant life. She ultimately, Juliana, you will be responsible for your faith in Jesus. But mom and dad, you are responsible for her faith in Jesus as well. Moms, dads, you are responsible in some measure for your children's faith in Jesus. Otherwise, the Bible wouldn't command you to raise them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. You ultimately will not give an account for what your adult children do with the faith that you taught them. But our negligence, just like our diligence, produces consequences. As a church, let us be diligent to raise our children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. As a church, let us be diligent to see even the least among us as covenant members. And by example, whether we're parents by biology or whether we are nursing fathers and nursing mothers in the Spirit, by example, showing them our faith in Jesus through our faithfulness to Him and to one another. So baptism places us into, baptism identifies us. It is the outward sign of an inward work of grace. Amen? So Juliana, go and get your, your clothes on that you're going to get in the water with. And I'm going to go and I'm going to get my clothes on that I'm going to get in the water with. So we identify with Christ. We identify with His death. Romans 6, 3 and 4 says we identify with the resurrection of Christ. Colossians 12, 2, 12 says we identify with the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says Baptism identifies us with all of these things.
It speaks of that one baptism where God in His grace will, by His Spirit, place us into Christ and so save us for all eternity.